This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Throw me the ball and watch what I do with it. You are now tuned in to the Carrie Picking Podcast with your host, Andre Carey. Hey, what's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to another very special episode of the Cherry Pick'em Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Andre Cherry. This is season three of the podcast. Can you believe it? We are already three seasons into the Cherry Pick'em Podcast, and I'm so grateful and thankful that you have been a, a loyal listener to the show, and I'm really excited to kick off season three. So thank you guys for rocking with me. Thank you for downloading this episode. And this will be a very special episode that'll focus on the Miami Hurricanes and the moves that they've made early this offseason. But before I get into that, I do want to issue my condolences to the nine individuals who lost their lives in the helicopter crash from January 26th of this year, which includes Kobe Bryant, his daughter Gianna Bryant, John Altabelli, Carrie Altabelli, Alyssa Altabelli, uh, Christina Mauser, Ara Zob- Zobayan, uh, Sarah Chester, and Peyton Chester. As you probably all know and have heard, you know, Kobe Bryant and those individuals lost their lives um, about a week ago. And this has weighed heavily on on my heart and on my mind, and it's uh, such a, a sad and tragic, and it's such a sad and tragic um, a story. Uh, I mean, this is a a world event story. Um, you know, you can forget about it being a, a sports story. I mean, this is a, a national, a global story that has rocked a lot of people, and I just think about it from uh, being a father and thinking about my own family and and how sad that must be and how tragic that must be uh, for his wife, Vanessa, and, and all the other families who are now reeling from this accident, um, who have lost members in their family. I can't even imagine the pain that they're going through. And when I heard the news, I honestly, I was shocked and I kind of in disbelief, couldn't really believe it. And as the days have gone on, it just continues to weigh heavily on my heart and on my mind. And it's such a a sad and tragic uh, way to die. And I wrote, um, I wrote a piece on this on my website, cherrypickingsports.com. I went to the Memorial here in Philadelphia. Uh, I went to Kobe's uh, high school, lower Marion. Um, And I took some pictures from the Memorial and um, you know, it was really sweet to see all the artifacts that were left by folks just trying to, just pay their last respects to Kobe Bryant and his daughter and the other folks who were impacted and affected by that accident. But I just wanted to start this podcast off by saying, you know, um, my thoughts and prayers go out to all of the folks that were impacted by this tragic event. I, I still really can't believe it. It hasn't really set in. And I guess what's hard to believe is that Kobe Bryant, you know, he was a beast on the court. He was a fierce competitor. He was at the top of his game. Like he, he represented what many folks try to aspire to be, and and I mean that from the standpoint of being successful in his craft or in whatever craft you may you may uh, work in. Kobe Bryant was the best, you know. And I grew up with this guy. I, I saw him enter the league as a 18 year old kid, and I, I saw it go all the way 
through to his retirement. And and this guy was successful every every stop of the way, even in high school. I mean, this guy was just uh, a beast, a competitor. He uh, put in the hard work, and he's really he really represented what a lot of folks hope to be someday in their lives, and just being successful and being able to uh, just be on the top of the world. And the fact that this this man, this young man at forty one years old, uh, perished in a, a tragic helicopter accident just didn't doesn't seem real. It didn't seem believable, and this guy was a superhero. And the fact that he died so young and so suddenly, it just really caught a lot of folks off guard. And it just, it was so tragic. And the fact that his daughter was with him, Gianna Bryant, who was a, a rising star of her own in basketball, it, it just really, it just really kills me inside. And it just, um, I've just been thinking about it a, a lot. And I just wanted to start this podcast off by just paying my respects to them. If you want to see, my post, uh, if you want to see some of those pictures from the memorial, certainly, you know, you can go to my website, cherrypickingsports.com, and you can find that post. Um, but uh, I just want to uh, pay my respects to Kobe Bryant and the, the eight other individuals who lost their lives. All right, so now let's kick this episode off. As I mentioned at the top of the show, this podcast will be dedicated to Miami, the Miami Hurricanes, and the moves that they've made early this offseason. You know, I, w- I wasn't going to get on the mic this soon. I mean, this is technically my offseason, I guess you could say. Just taking a little break to reset the batteries, recharge, get those creative juices flowing. But I found myself missing this podcast, missing this format, and I, I had to jump at this opportunity to just speak on the changes that Miami is making this offseason and really what prompted me to get this burning desire to get on here a lot sooner than I intended to was the news about Ed Reed. And I'll get into that a little bit later on this podcast episode, but I want to take a look at everything that Miami has done this offseason. And certainly, I'm sure I'm probably missing some uh, moves, but I wanted to highlight some of the biggest moves that they've made thus far. So if we look at the moves that Miami has made this offseason, the first one was the firing of Dan Enos. So Miami fired offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach Dan Enos on Friday, December 27th. The firing came one day after his Hurricanes offense was shut out 14-0 to Louisiana Tech in the Independence Bowl. It was an embarrassing loss, which marked the first time that Miami had been shut out in a bowl game since 1994. Miami ended its season with a 6-7 and seven record, which is a losing record. It was their second losing season in 12 years. Enos had only been with the program for one season after leaving his associate head coaching position at Alabama. The Hurricanes offense averaged 367.2 yards per game, which was third worst in the ACC. And the 25.7 points in a game also ranked in the bottom half among the league. Miami ended its season ranked 89th in scoring offense, 99th in total offense, 122nd in rushing offense, and 122nd in red zone offense. The Miami Hurricanes finished the season on a three-game losing streak, and the bowl loss marked the first time that a group of five program, Louisiana Tech, shut out a Power 5 school in a bowl game since the beginning of the BCS college football playoff era in 1998. So that was a lot that I just rattled off there in terms of the stats. But really what you need to 
keep with you in the back of your mind is that Miami's offense is a far cry from what it used to be. When I think about the early 2000s, Miami was known for high-powered offense. I mean, they had some of the best running backs in the nation. I'm thinking Willis McGahee, Clinton Portis, hell, even Jared Payton was putting up some stats back in the day for Miami. But now they're just a a far, there's a shadow of what that success used to look at, look like in the early 2000s. And so a change was necessary. A change was required for Manny Diaz to be able to keep some respect amongst the alum um, and all the folks that uh, follow that program. A change needed to be made at the OC level. And it came pretty quickly. It came pretty swiftly after the bowl game from this past season. So that was a necessary change. And that was probably the biggest offseason move to start the season for Miami. So with the vacancy, in steps up Rhett Lashley. And Rhett Lashley was hired as the new OC at Miami after a successful campaign at SMU in 2019, where the Mustangs won 10 games last season and ranked 7th nationally in points scored at 41.9 points per game and 9th in yards per game at 489.8. In a statement from Manny Diaz, the head coach boasted, and I quote, Rhett has directed some of the most innovative offenses in college football in recent years, offenses that attack quickly, creatively, and efficiently. We are excited to see how Rhett will look to spread the ball around and utilize our athletes on the offensive side of the ball, end quote. Lashley, who was 36, also held coordinator jobs at Auburn, Connecticut, Arkansas State, and Samford. The former Arkansas quarterback played high school football for Gus Malzahn and spent much of his early coaching career working under Coach Malzahn. And I have a statement here that's on the record from Rhett Lashley, and he said, and I quote, Our philosophy and what we'll tell the guys is that we want to play fast and physical. I think there's great advantages to playing fast. There's also a lot of things that go into that. You have to execute at a high level. You have to play well. Otherwise, you can't go fast. I think when you get to where you can play fast, it gives you a lot of advantages as an offense. You're able to be aggressive. You'll be able to dictate more to the defense instead of the other way around. And really, that's just the way I've always played going back to my days playing quarterback for Gus Malzahn in high school. It's just what I believe in and what I know and what's been successful. I think that there's some misconceptions that when you spread the field, it's kind of finesse. That's not the case. I believe in balance. We're going to be able to throw the football, but we've also got to be able to run the football and be physical at every position. We just tell our guys fast and physical. We want to play fast. We want to be physical at every position. And when they buy in, they start to see the advantages. Over time, it just really starts to be something that everybody buys into and believes in. It's a lot of fun, end quote. And again, that those statements uh, came from new offensive coordinator at Miami, Rhett Lashley. So out with the old, in with the new, Rhett Lashley was a, a, a key piece to SMU's success in 2019, Really curious and interested to see how that'll translate into more wins at Miami. Certainly, it can't get any worse, you would hope, if you're a Miami Hurricanes fan. Uh, So on paper, that's a pretty good move. And this is a guy that looks to be able to help this offense out because they're going to need it. I mean, after the way they ended 2019, you know, they were pretty much at the bottom in terms of stats offensively. 
I think this this young man will provide a boost to the Miami Hurricanes, and it'll be really fun to watch his offense this year. So those were some moves that were made at the coaching level. Let's now look at some moves that were made at the player level. And so Rhett Lashley, he's going to benefit tremendously from the addition of this young man, Derek King, who transferred from Houston to Miami. So Derek King was also in the AAC with head coach or offensive coordinator Rhett Lashley. Lashley. And so former Houston starting quarterback Derek King announced recently that he is transferring to Miami. The Hurricanes will have six scholarship signal callers competing for the starting job this season. However, I really find it hard to believe that King won't be named the starter by week one when Miami is playing Temple. The Temple Owls. King was the hottest prospect in the transfer portal this offseason, and he is considered a big win for the Hurricanes. In 2018, King set the AAC season record with 50 total touchdowns, 14 of which were rushing. That season, he was 219 of 345, uh, which is a 63% completion percentage for over 2,900 yards and only six interceptions. He also had 111 carries for 674 yards. And so in 2019, uh, many folks believe that he would have a great season. He would have a new head coach at Houston in the form of Daner Holgerson, who transferred in or who um, who left his job at West Virginia for the head coaching position at Houston. Uh, but by the fourth game, King announced that he would cut his season short so that he could use it as a redshirt year and retain his eligibility. A lot of folks had some strong opinions on that. It didn't really seem to make sense or vibe. Like, Why would you? I, I guess I couldn't personally understand why he would redshirt when he was already a starter. Um, maybe he was going through some injury issues at the time. I can't recall what the what the issues were, but he thought it best to just sit out that season and then return in 2020. So by the fourth game, he announced that he would use it as a redshirt year and retain his eligibility. Before he had made the decision to sit out the rest of the season, King finished with 58 of 110 uh, passes in 2019. For 663 yards and six touchdowns with two interceptions, he also rushed the ball 55 times for for 312 yards and another six touchdowns. And so he cut his eligibility short and he actually issued a statement and he said, and I quote, I came here to play football for the University of Houston and that is not changing, King said in September in a statement released by Houston. After carefully thinking through this process with my family and coach Dana Holgerson, I have decided the opportunity to redshirt this season gives me the best chance to develop as a player, earn my degree, and set me up for the best success in the future. I'm looking forward to being a part of the success of this program going forward, end quote. And so when that statement was, was released, I believed him. I believe that he was just trying to redshirt, maybe get healthy to get back in 2020 and to have a successful campaign for the Houston Cougars in 2020. And I took him at his word. I believed him. Um, but we live in this world now where players are taking more uh, a, more of a hold of their, their careers. College careers can be short. College careers can end in injury. College careers may not necessarily go the way that players would hope when they're joining a program. But now we're seeing more players take hold of their careers. And this is a move that players can use. They can enter into the transfer portal by the fourth game. And if they want to redshirt that season, they can. They can still retain their eligibility. And the fact that D.R. King would be a graduate transfer, he could leave um, and he can play immediately. 
for a school. So I think it's good for the game, honestly. I think it's always great that these players are you know, using the control that they have to control their careers. That probably some folks may not like that, this new era of college football, but it's a necessary move. And and, and in this case for De'Ara King, he now has the opportunity to go to the ACC uh, for a program that has a storied history of success. And now he can be a part of that success, you would, you would hope, I guess, if you're a Miami fan, this upcoming season. So he's coming to Miami. He's probably going to be the starter. I, I wouldn't see him coming to Miami if that weren't the case. Manny Diaz is very, he's a very good recruiter. Manny Diaz is a very good salesperson. And it's, it's easy to be inspired by Manny Diaz. It's easy to hear his words and, and to believe him. Because I believed him when I when I was sitting at that press conference at Temple uh, about a year ago that he was going to lead this program, continue to lead this program into further success. And I believed him. He He's a great salesperson. He's a great speaker. Now I'm ready to see if this guy can coach. Is he a great head coach? I haven't seen it yet. The first season would be a failure. Just from a, a, a stats perspective, he, they went six and seven. That's a losing record. Um, I'm ready to see what he can do with this new talent, Derek King, as his quarterback in 2020. So that was a huge move on the offensive side of the ball this offseason. Manny Diaz reached into the portal and pulled out Derek King. And another move that they made by going into the portal was obtaining Quincy Roche. And Quincy Roche transferred to the U. He was a beast this season for Temple. And so Temple defensive end Quincy Roche entered the transfer portal and teleported to Miami. The redshirt junior had his best season with Temple last year as he accumulated 49 tackles, including 19 tackles for losses and 13 sacks. His stats last season were good enough to earn him the American Athletic Conference Defensive Player of the Year. Roche owns the AAC record for career sacks with 26. He finished his career at Temple with 137 total tackles, 39.5 of which were for a loss. He also forced six fumbles. Certainly, Roche generated some NFL interest, but the D-end has gone on record stating that he felt that transferring would be the best decision for him and his family. As a graduate transfer, Roche is eligible to play immediately. And the addition of Roche will certainly bolster the Hurricanes' defense with perhaps the most dangerous pass-rushing tandem in the country, pairing him with Gregory Rousseau, whose 15.5 sacks were the second most behind Ohio State Buckeyes defensive end Chase Young. And Chase Young will probably be the first or second pick in the uh, NFL draft this year, probably the second pick after uh, Joe Burrow from LSU, but... That's that's pretty impressive that he was only second behind Chase Young. And so the pairing of Rousseau and Roche will just certainly bolster this defense next season. And they're going to be one of the better defenses on paper in the ACC next season. And so that's a, that's a huge loss for Temple, but that's a huge gain for Miami and Manny Diaz. So I'm definitely interested to see how those two players will help impact and hope provide additional wins to this Miami program in 2020. After a quick break, I will get into the Ed Reed news and then I'll also share my thoughts on that, 
hiring, and we'll also talk about overall what my thoughts are on all these additions to the Miami program and all these moves that they made in the offseason. So I'll be right back. I'm going to take a quick timeout. Don't go anywhere. I want some nasty. Are you a member of San Antonio Spurs Nation? If you are, stand up. If you are, stand up. That's right, because this is a bucking Spurs podcast. I am Robert Trejo Jr., your host here at ABSP, and here we're talking all things San Antonio Spurs basketball, baby. We'll talk NBA as well. We'll have occasional guest hosts dropping in from time to time. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Podcast, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, wherever you get your podcast jam on, we are there. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube for special Spurs content. And you already know what it is. Go Spurs, go. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. So I teased before the break the news about Ed Reed. He was recently hired back at Miami. So NFL Hall of Famer Ed Reed has been hired as the chief of staff for the Hurricanes football program. Ed Reed will be tasked with helping Miami coach Manny Diaz in all aspects of the football program, including strategic planning, quality control, operations, player evaluation, and player development, the university said in a statement. Reed's duties will also include team building, student-athlete mentorship, and as much recruiting as is allowed under NCAA rules. In a statement from Diaz, he said, and I quote, We are all thrilled to welcome Ed back to Coral Gables. He is not only one of the most decorated players in Miami football history, but also a devoted Kane who cares deeply about this program. All of our players, coaches, and staff will be fortunate to tap into his experience, knowledge, and passion on a regular basis. End quote. Ed Reed was a member of Miami's 2001 National Championship team, which is considered to be one of the most talented teams in football history. Five players from that team went in the first round of the 2002 draft, which includes Reed, who went number 24 to the Ravens. Ed Reed set Miami school records for career interceptions at 21 and interception return yards at 369. So Ed Reed, is a, it's a huge hire. It's a huge splash for this program. I don't know that I've ever uh, been aware of someone holding that title with the program. His title is the Chief of Staff. So it sounds super official. It sounds like it's a lot of work, to be honest. I mean, it sounds like that's a lot of the responsibilities of a head football coach. It says his responsibilities include all aspects of the football program, including strategic planning, quality control, operations, player evaluation, player development. Like that Doesn't that sound like what a head coach should be doing? And I'm sure Manny Diaz will be doing that in his role. And as a head coach, he has to oversee the entire program. But it sounds like he needs some help in doing that. And so Ed Reed is that guy. It's a huge hire from the standpoint of this is uh, one of the best players to ever wear a Miami Hurricane uniform. Uh, He's very passionate. I think back to that halftime speech that he gave uh, about, you know, it hurts and that he he's putting his whole heart into this and, you know, he wants this and it's on YouTube. You can find it. You know, Ed Reed is a a passionate guy, um, a passionate player. I'm sure he's going to infuse that same passion into this program in 2020. And I think that this hire, honestly, is something to make the alums happy, something to make the fan base happy that, 
you know, Manny Diaz, he's not he's not technically a Miami Hurricane guy. I mean, he's he's got ties to Florida State, but in order to build favor and to kind of keep the fans and the alum at bay, at bay, why not hire Ed Reed, an NFL Hall of Famer, uh, College Hall of Famer? Get this guy on the program. He is a Miami guy. He's he's a part of the U's uh, storied. Uh, tradition and history. Why not get this guy to help me out and let's go do this thing in 2020. A hire like this means that all the chips are in that Manny Diaz is, he's committed to turning 2020 around before it even begins because the way the 2019 ended was pretty dismal. It was pretty, pretty bleak. You know, It, it didn't give me the feeling that this program is headed in the right direction. A six and seven record, Technically, the year before when Mark Rick was the head coach, y'all ended the season with a better mark. You know, it didn't end well with the the bowl loss to Wisconsin. But technically, from a record standpoint, you finished worse off than you did in 2019. You're the new coach. Um, you were very excited to get back to Miami as the head coach, and there was a lot of hype coming into 2019. In fact, I thought that Miami would win the Coastal, and shame on me for for doing that. I you know I I missed misjudged where Miami was, but they, they are putting some, some things together on paper that could have a good uh, effect on this team in 2020. Certainly the new OC, Rhett Lashley is a huge hire. Certainly De'Eric King coming in to be the starting quarterback was a huge pickup out of the transfer portal. Quincy Roche is another huge addition to the program. Ed Reed is another big step forward. And so you have to give Manny Diaz a lot of credit, a lot of uh, respect for what he's done in this offseason. It's fairly early into the offseason, but this was a home run. These moves were home run hires, home run additions. And so I'm really curious to see how that will translate into wins in 2020. Because if they do not win in 2020... I think Manny Diaz's job is good as gone. Like if they end the season with a six and seven record next season, I think he's out of there. I think you have to make the changes and you have to figure out who who is going to be that coach to help guide them into this new era of Miami football. Because my Manny Diaz, like I said before, is a good salesman. He's good at making people feel good about themselves and, and making people believe that he's the right guy for the job, but the first year was pretty bad. The second year, if he has a, another poor season, I think he is done. And that's a shame for a guy that rose through the ranks you know, as a defensive coordinator at various stops along the way. There's a lot of promise about who Manny Diaz can become in terms of a head coach. And I I hope that he can be, uh, be a great head coach for Miami. He loves it there. Um, he went back to Miami after what 16 days on the job at Temple so you're making some big moves and now it's time for the payoff and so honestly if they do not win the Coastal next season I think that season can be written off as a failure honestly I think these moves will get them into great position to win the Coastal and if they don't do it anything short of that I think is a failure if I'm a Miami Hurricanes fan or part of the the program or an alum, I think you are shooting for the Coastal. And so with these moves, again, they're on paper. These are great moves. I'm excited to see how it translates into more wins in 2020. So 
With that said, I want to end this podcast on that note. I, I just felt compelled to do a Miami Hurricanes podcast. There was a lot of moves that were made in the early offseason, so I had to hop on here and just share my thoughts with everybody. Um, how I uh, assessed those moves and additions in uh, in the offseason. So it should be exciting to see what happens in 2020. I want to thank you guys and gals for listening to this podcast for today. It felt good to hop back on the mic. And I hope to uh, have some more fun with you guys before the season begins in, what, early September, I think the, the first week of the season is. I think or August, the end of August, maybe the week zero. But I'm excited for this upcoming season. I can't wait to do some new and fun things with this podcast. And, and uh, I can't wait to talk to you guys again very soon. So I hope you guys have a great rest of the week. And I hope to talk to you guys fairly soon here. So have a good one, y'all. Take care. <laughs> Thank you again for tuning into my Cherry Picking Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to subscribe to my show and drop me a rating on Apple Podcasts. All of my digital content can be found at the website, cherrypickingsports.com. And if you are looking to interact with me via social media, my Twitter handle is at cherry underscore pickin. That's P-I-C-K-I-N. On my Twitter, you'll also find a link to my blog where I post my weekly college football predictions and analysis. I can also be reached via email at cherrypickinsports at gmail.com. Please feel free to reach out to me regarding what you like about this podcast or about what content you'd like to hear more of on future episodes. I sincerely thank you for your support, and I can't wait to talk to you again soon. Take care.